Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Civ is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts who have been with us since the very beginning. It's where we learn how to make podcasts, radio and videos. If you're interested in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism or maybe you'd like um, to mix and match, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting PixelSiv. Hello and welcome to PixelSiv episode 102. My name is Mitch and joining me today are my co-hosts Scott and Sarah. Hey guys. Hey, hey. And Hello. Hey. <laughs> now, if you're joining us for the first time, Pixel Civ is a show dedicated to indie games and their stories from all over Australia and around the world. Our guest this week is Sean Simon, also known as Those Six Faces. Sean, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so Sean is here to talk about his game Snake Time. But before we get to that, what are we covering, Scott? Uh, yes, Epic Games and Bethesda are choosing not to put their products on the Google Play Store and Steam Marketplace, respectively. Based on this, it's looking like we may need to have a heap more gaming apps to be able to play in the future. Excellent. All right, let's get started. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. Yes, so as I said, Epic Games and Bethesda have moved swiftly away from Google Play and Steam to deliver their respective games, Fortnite and Fallout 76, to their customers. Uh, This follows a slow but consistent trend of companies and publishers choosing to sell their games through their own digital marketplace. But what will this mean for us and our game libraries? Uh, Will this be better for the consumer? This means I'm going to have to download like a new launcher for every game I Mm, want to buy, right? Basically. And also remember a new... Um, email password, uh, oh. login access. No. But I mean, in saying that, you do already have a few. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's probably going to be another three or four on the pile, I'd say, if that's the way, the way things goes. But, you know. Most then- games that come, like most AAA games, at least, that come through the Steam store, I think also have a little bit of a login, like a third-party login anyway. Sarah, is that true? You play a lot of, you play a lot more PC <laughs> games than we do. 
Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but um, I've noticed like there's a significant number that I've personally played myself. I mean, I've only played a very specific number of certain games, but out of my entire Steam library and games that I've played over the years, I've noticed that a bunch have required me to make a separate account. Now, I don't necessarily have to log into that account every time I go to play a game. Oftentimes, um, it's just like a one-time thing and they just require you to make an account with them. For example, Evolve, when that came out, I had to make a separate 2K account for that or something. So I logged in, I, I signed up the very first time then it never asked me for it again other games such as rainbow six siege however they actually load up um through the ubisoft launcher but that's all connected through steam so i go to my steam library i go to boot up rainbow six siege and then the ubisoft launcher boots up and i had to have an account with that obviously which i signed up when i first bought the game but it's kind of got this weird kind of integration with steam almost but you know obviously that's very different to situations like origin which are just basically it's, it's its own hoster it's got all, all its games on there but yeah i've noticed that a lot of games do require you to have your own account with them so already we've started doing that but they don't always require you to log in every time we boot up so that's a really good for point, me actually. it's not really an inconvenience for the time being I'm obviously unless someone steals my password though <laughs> yeah as somebody it keeps trying to do with my epic account uh, I, I told facebook i was like you can have it just ask me <laughs> yeah just have i don't it. really care um sean as a developer and as someone who has a game on the Apple Store. What what do you make of all this? Um, well, one of the things uh, with uh, having um, all these different launch launches is, um, for me, it's uh, it also takes up some space on my hard drive. Mm. So if I've got, like, say, Origin or Steam or uh, a few other launches, it, it takes up some space. Um, another thing um, with having multiple launches is... With me especially, or this, I've noticed this with other friends, is that it's very satisfying to have Steam as something where you've got all of your games, you've got a whole library, and you're just scrolling through your big list of games. Um, <laughs> but rather, when you've got a scarce amount of games in different uh, locations and different launches, it's it's kind of a it, um, it's kind of like you have to really sift through the different launches to really uh, look at your how many ga- different games you've got. Um, so me as a perfectionist, I really like to um, see all of my uh, uh, games or things like that in just one uh, repository, um, self-contained uh, uh, library. I completely get that. I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword there, though, isn't it? Like you yeah. want to have all your stuff in one place, but then you also don't mm-hmm. want to kind of like uh, pay into the monopoly that is becoming, well, that is Steam. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And it's very- I have to say, though, when you have all your games in Steam, Steam does still have the option to import games into Steam. Yeah, you can So have let's say product. if you get one of these, like, let's say you get mm. Fallout 76, you import it into Steam. Now, I'm not an expert on this, but theoretically, you could just launch it through Steam. So it's kind of in your library, yeah. but it's not linked to your Steam account, but it's just there. Like I could I could put Photoshop into my Steam library if I really wanted to, that I'd have a Steam <laughs> overlay in Photoshop and everyone know I was drawing. But like... <laughs> In saying that, though, I guess as long as the game doesn't require you to log in every time you boot up, then potentially that's a way to circumvent that problem. But again, that's still kind of avoiding the situation, like potentially, you know, is this going to be bad if more games take this route? Is this going to be a problem for consumers? Is this going to to bother people or are we just going to let it slide if more and more games stop coming off Steam? Or is this potentially a good thing for games to break away from the Steam monopoly? Well, look, what it really comes down to is money. Um, There's... 
with a lot of the these digital content delivery systems, be it games or music or anything, um, they generally take a 30% cut as a general rule. I mean, I'm sure there's a fluctuation there between whatever, but like iTunes, Valve, even we're talking, uh, if you're into your music stuff, like Beatport, um, you know, TrackSource, all these people, you're selling your artistic wares, they're going to take a 30% cut just for having their digital shop, which to be fair is runaway, runaway rubbery. But like that level of fee scraping has also been happening for a long time in like the artistic communities. Um, so I kind of like that they're going away from that because I feel like 30% is a bit, uh, it's a bit of a piss take. Another thing we do need to address is in the case of Fortnite and Epic and the Android store, um, and they're and ignoring the Google Play Store, is they now have to disable some security on Android devices to actually put the game on the phone. Well, absolutely. So, I mean, you're coming in through the side door, so mm-hmm. you're going to open up so many potential potential security risks. Um, but also, because you're not going to a proper store, there's going to be so many rip-offs and traps for younger players. Um, you know, think about how many, like, you know, rip-off games are on a legit store like iTunes. Yeah. Imagine one like you know, getting out on the internet and just typing in Fortnite. It's gonna be crazy. Yeah. Malware like, city. Um, the Epic CEO um said uh game gamers have been proven to be able to ad- adopt safe software practices and gaming has thrived on PC, on open PC platforms throughout throughout many sources. And he cites marketplaces like Steam, Activision and Blizzard's Battle.net. That is but a good point. That's pretty optimistic, I think, actually. Yeah, because they yeah, can't sorry, okay. not they can't not know how young Fortnite's audience skews. That's exactly like, what I was about to say. You know, like yeah. uh, you'll they list he listed off, you know, um, let's say Blizzard or Riot. Um you know, I'm not I'm not saying that it's an, uh, specifically or in in any kind of way an older market, but Fortnite is particularly young mm. and you know, you've got these things about, you know, parents you know, buying lessons for their students, uh, for their for their kids, <laughs> um, you know, and like when I was in EB Games very recently, it was a, a, a mum with this young boy asking something about Fortnite. It was like, it is just, it's the hot thing at the moment for young kids. Spe- so they're going to be the most at risk. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of hot things at the moment, if you just joined <laughs> us, we are PixelSiv. My name is Mitch and I'm joined by Scott and Sarah. And this week we have Sean... Simon with us, and he's here to talk about. And we are talk, currently talking about the move away from uh, to traditional digital marketplaces. Yeah. Um, in favor of self-publishing, almost, and things like Steam and Google Play Store are becoming it's, less relevant. See, as far as that side goes, um, you know, with the lack of kind of um, people making money from the creators of these, uh, let's call them works of art, at the moment. Uh, is is that yeah? It takes the, kind of the monetary side of things and the the gain back into the publisher and developers' uh, pockets, which I do like the side of that. Um, one thing I have noticed in regards to like consolidating all your games is the the chat program Discord is beginning to kind of fill that gap. Yes. Um. So I've noticed that um, one of Discord's recent updates. Um. I can't really remember which one it was, but I now on the home screen I can now launch my games from Discord. You which can is, also join us on our Discord. You can also uh, join which, us on our Discord. <laughs> where we talk about all things Pixel and Sifty. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I for one feel good about this move. I know mm-hmm. it'll be annoying having an extra launcher and all the extra stuff that comes with it. But I think in the long run, it'll be better. And then like like Sarah said, we've been doing those similar things of having a specific, you know, login for that company or publisher for a very long time. You know, I've had a Battle.net for very many years and I've got, you know, like I said, I have the Epic account as well. It, you just do it. It's part of the course and I, this will just be a new part of it. Awesome. I, I think that's pretty much where we can leave that. I would like to get started on talking about snake time. Sure. Coming right up. Hey, Mitch, what are you doing this Friday? <laughs> uh, I'm playing Fortnite this Friday. But didn't you hate that game? Yeah, but I'm going to go get my pickaxe anyway. What time is it on? It's on at 7.30pm on every Friday night. We play Fortnite, and I hate it. You'll love it. Ugh. On twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift. You know, this week it's not me. I'm not going to be playing it this week. It's either Johnny or Sarah is going to be doing it. So, Woo. yeah, have fun. Uh, I think it's actually, it might be both. Oh, it could be could both. both All of right. us. Nice. Okay. So, double head of that one. Anyway, <laughs> enough about that and enough about us. This week we are joined by Sean Simon, and he is jo- he is the lone developer of Snake Time, the time-bending puzzle, spin, puzzle game spin on the traditional snake with reimagined mechanics, funky level and funky level design. So, Sean, for those of us not in the know, what is Snake Time? So, um, Snake Time is a uh, like a groovy turn-based puzzle game about time travel. So, it's um, think of it like you've got a classic game of Snake, and then you combine the elements. If you've ever played this game called Braid, um, where you can uh, rewind time and uh, solve little things, and then move on forward, and then go back in time. So it has this element where it's uh, uh, you go from uh, platform to platform, um, uh, covering all the tiles, and then you've got these things called time buttons that can take you back in time. Now, since there's lots of dead ends in the game, like little narrow corridor- corridors that once you go into a corridor, uh, you can't go back on your own path, there's some time buttons that uh, let you go back in time and then take a different path um, now, the little thing with this game is when you rewind back in time and you move forward through a different path, the past uh, path, your previous timeline, will also move alongside you, with you. Oh, like so it's almost like you thing. can race alongside yourself from the previous timeline. Awesome. Um, awesome. <clears throat> uh, so what was the main inspiration behind the time travel mechanic? Because that's something that I never thought... I needed in, in, in Snake, but I thought <laughs> after, after, um, I, after I saw the gameplay, I was like, oh, nice. Let's do this. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, it was, uh, this game was originally a project I was working on through my last year in high school back about uh, two or three years ago. Um, it was, uh, it was, I just like, I had like a little dream of a, of little snakes going through little holes and then going back, back on their path and going to a different, um, going down a different path, kind of like Hydra splitting apart, um, like that uh, dragon, which is like splitting apart in its neck. But uh, I had that idea where you would have like something which is falling apart, like just like snake or light cycles, and then it goes back and then goes takes a different turn. Um, and then that got me thinking, what about if I turn that into a more turn-based playable game? Um, so I kept going through these stages of just trying to really work out this idea. Um, and then I got to this uh, prototype stage. So I had this prototype which I was working on, which was all 3D. Um, problem was it was it was very uh, very laggy. Um, but I had my concept of time travel, 
Um, I demoed that a bit. People enjoyed it, but um, people found it a bit visually confusing. So um, I ditched it. And then a year or two, about a year and a half later, I got back onto it and reimagined the art style to be uh, this uh, flat style we have today. Um, you mentioned that players found it visually confusing. I, I often hear mm-hmm. of game developers playtesting and they know when people definitely are connecting with the game, but how did you know people were disconnecting with that element of the uh, art style? Well, um, so originally the prototype had, it was all in 3D and we had a bunch of platforms. It was a, it was almost like it was 3D on a circular grid um, and players weren't really able, because I my, my background had this like, crystal white style to it and then my platforms also had this white color to it and people were a bit confused like they weren't sh- sure whether where the floor was where platforms were um people were trying to go off uh on a site on the off the edge of a platform and uh so after i one of the things which inspired the new flat style um was really how people were responding to um the complexity of the visual style so i thought i should just go the opposite direction and go for a completely uh simplistic uh flat uh vector style um so you so you do work alone um have has that always been the case mm-hmm. uh, have you i've worked in teams before um look i've worked worked on a few projects here and there um currently on i'm in my second year of uni so i'm working on a group uh in a few group projects here and there um but mostly one of the things is most of the projects i've been doing in the past have uh, been uh, just solo experiments or solo things here and there um so you say um you're you you started a couple of years ago uh before a couple of years before you finished high school i mean you're only 19 now uh how long have you been yeah. developing for um about uh, ever since uh, probably nine um i've just to some coding, this coding school um, called Games Training, which is still running somewhere. Um, but uh, I uh, went there and uh, I just learned the basics of Unity, and then I really haven't stopped since. <laughs> I took it and run with it. <laughs> yeah, it's always been my passion. So, how many time, uh, how many games have you made in that time? Um, all right, now here's the funny part. I've <laughs> okay. I've always been making little projects here and there. But uh, throughout my more formative years, when I've gotten a really exciting idea, which I've been really keen to do, um, I've done quite the opposite what any game developer would advise. I started developing the game from the menu and then going to the gameplay, but I'd always lose my motivation during the um, making the menu. And so I'll just stop the game and go to a completely new project. So right now I've got about 20 or so um, unfinished menus of games, <laughs> which I had a really passion for. Um, I mean, that must have been so a really like, good part of the, I guess, um, formative development of yourself as a developer, though, um, you know, learning mm-hmm. the, the mistakes, uh, learning from your mistakes and, and how to go forward and actually complete a game. Yeah. Um, I've Yeah, it's uh, it's been one of the things I've been uh, always trying to train myself on, especially uh, scoping a project. Because when I'm working as a solo developer, I don't really have that other person there to say, uh, uh, look, this is too ambitious. So I've kind of had to learn myself of exactly 
what I can get done in a certain amount of time and then work towards uh, uh, these goals I give myself. Awesome. So um, if you're just joining us, my name is Mitch and we are Pixelsiv. I'm joined by our my co-hosts, Scott and Sarah. And this week we are joined also by Sean Simon, the creator of Snake Time. Now, Sean, um, now get back to the questions. Um, you said you had made a lot of different games. How did you know that Snake Time was the one you wanted to really flesh out? Um, it's... Um I kind of felt like all my previous projects were almost experiments. Um, like, uh, I think during uh, my second last year of high school, I worked on this big, this uh, year-long project, which I got finished, called Grebrol, um, which is like a little spherical platformer, which has about uh, 500 or so different levels in it, which I thought was really good. Um, but at the time, I realized that as 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 much effort I put into it, um, it's it's. Uh, I felt like I could still make something even better. Um, I mean, I know the perfectionist complex is always something which, as any developer, has to battle. But I felt like Snake Time is definitely the uh, type of game that I can really put to um, put my name to because um, I feel like the uh, cons- it's got a real consistent style through it, um, which I've been trying to discipline myself on a specific artistic style um, which uh, uh, calls heavily on this um, American artist uh, in the 1950s and 60s called Sobas. Mm. I hope I've said his name right or <laughs> yeah. pronounced it but yeah. Yeah no um, that's I could definitely see that um, there's a bunch of uh, 90s stuff that I really liked that um, borrows from the same style and I was definitely picking up on that um, that Mission Hill of was what it reminded me of. Um, <laughs> on that uh, what What's your favorite part of the new game that you've created, Snake Time? Um, I'd say uh, 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 definitely the uh, third world. I mean, I'm not going to give too much away, yeah, please, but no uh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, with each world, I introduce a new mechanic, which is quite exciting to see how people respond to the new mechanic. Um, but I also have a. I also introduce a new style and new palette to the game, um, so definitely uh, giving getting people to playtest the third uh, world, which I won't give away, but is uh, <laughs> uh, tech themed, is definitely exciting to see. Um, our viewers are very lucky enough to be viewing uh, some footage we've got of. Oh, they were now they're looking at my ugly mug, but before that they were looking at uh, footage of the game, so people can get a bit of a taste of it. And um, get out there and taste it for themselves, I guess. We do have a couple of questions from the, the Twitch chat, speaking of which. Epivorous would like to know how the music came together because he says it's quite funky as well. And uh, I think Moody Zander earlier said the art style looks very groovy. So I think the chat's mm-hmm. very much enjoying the game footage. But yeah, how did the music come together? Um, with the music, the music track, um, I uh, for, the, uh, or, for the trailer audio... Um, I had a friend compose the uh, track, uh, Jody Toomey, um, and uh, uh, of Strange Band Audio. And one of the things is um, with the music, I, with each world, I have a f- about a six or so minute track, um, which uh, generates at a random point. So it's kind of like every time you replay a level, you'll always be hearing sort of like a different sound theme, sort of like a different... Um, uh, ambient uh, jazzy track in the background right. um, 
so that was done with a couple bunch of code. So we have a couple of uh, questions from the stream uh, from Limbot. Uh, he would like to know, firstly, uh, what's a feature that you have cut from the game, if any? Oh, um, yeah, there's uh, been a few features. One of the bigger ones was the mechanic where when you step on a on a button, it would um, open up a, like, a platform that was invisible would open up. Um, the reason why I cut that feature, um, the mechanic, is because every mechanic I introduce into the game, I want it to be sort of multi have multiple purposes that revolve around the time button. Um, and the thing, and I couldn't really see much uh, me doing much with that sort of uh, like just a button and a platform sort of thing. Um, in saying that, there's a whole bunch of uh, mechanics which have been planned for later updates, which have already been developed. It's just a matter of doing the levels. So uh, I definitely see a new and exciting um, features to the game. And just one more question from the chat. Would What feature would you creep into the game if you had time or funding? Oh, um, <laughs> probably, uh, actually, there's two I have in mind. Um, one would be a, a teleporter, so something where you step onto a, um, a platform and it would take you to another, um, take you to another platform in, um, in the uh, level. Um, and then this isn't a mechanic, it's more an actual feature. It would be to really uh, flesh out uh, the level editor, which I've got going. Because um, <clears throat> um, I've been a, because I've set up a custom level editor, which I use as a developer, I've loaded onto my iPad. So I, when I'm on the train, I'm just developing levels. Um, that way I can really do something productive in my daily uni commute. I don't just sit there for two hours on the train I'm actually making levels, um, but definitely the feature I'd want to do is really fleshing that out and turning it into an actual um, part of the game where people can be able to create their own levels and share them. Um, is it is it intimidating to want to give your users the tools that allow you to create the game? Um, uh, it, it, it's... Not so much. The most, the mostly the intimidating thing is all of the uh, little bugs and things that I'd have to iron out. Like if people just spam uh, the level uh, database and make a whole bunch of like terrible levels. But the thing is, um, I'll be uh, I'll be making sure that I I have like some presets for things like background, so people don't have the full control over it. I still have some <laughs> some individual autonomy. Um, but ultimately, this is the type of game which, um, in the in the sixty levels that I've currently done, um, I don't even really uh, tap into the full potential of what I know this time button mechanic is capable of. Because um, I know, although I have my levels which have really explored different ways, different users of it, um, I know that there's uh, other um, ways which I know users, after much testing, could find different ways of using this mechanic. So after a lot of testing and the game's been out since July, if I correct, um, how's the game been received in that time? Um, it's really good. Um, I've currently passed about 600 sales on the App Store, which very I'm nice. very chuffed with. Yeah. Um, and people seem to, um, I've given it to people to play test and they seem to be having a fun time. Um, <clears throat> 
I've also shared it round, got a few couple of shares. Um, but yeah, so far it's good. Um, since this is uh, this is one of my first actual times where I'm really concentrating on the marketing side, um, and that's something completely new to me, which I haven't really explored. It's definitely, uh, if anything, uh, learning a, uh, this, this process is definitely a bigger thing, which is hopefully going to improve many of my future games. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, uh, this game is available on iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to go and check yep. out uh, more information about it, where can they go? Um, I've actually got a website. It's uh, snaketimegame.com. Um, and I believe uh, if I go to that website, it also has a link to my Twitter um, which is at those six faces, um, the six in mistral number six. Yes. Uh, so you if you're viewing f- on any of the view platforms, you can see that in front of you as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, I'm sure if you typed in, I mean, like like I always say, I'm pretty sure our viewers are pretty adept at the Google. And if you're <laughs> not, then I don't know how you got and, this um, far. If they're not, this will all be available <laughs> in the description <laughs> below the episode. Um, so... That, I think, is it's time for us to end. That's uh, she wrote. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us, Sean, for spending some time with us thank this evening you. and telling us about snake time. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, always, this always. episode was hosted by myself, Mitchell Lowe, and also Sarah Island and Scott Quigg, and okay. it was produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, and our executive producer is Gianni Di Giovanni. Um, thank you very much for, to the Murdoch University School of Arts for supporting PixelSiv all throughout these episodes. Um, if you'd like to more about the great creative degree, you can visit once again murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Um, awesome. So as always, we'll be sticking up the links to these topics we've talked about in the show notes on our website. And the best thing you can do to keep up with everything PixelSiv is head to our Discord pixelsiv.com.au forward slash discord and we're in there all the time so you can have a chat to us about the games you're playing and the things you're reading and even sometimes the developers are in there that we've had on the show but scott if people want to listen to other episodes where should they go yeah they can go to our website to stream episodes subscribe as a podcast either on apple podcasts spotify pocket Casts, or whatever podcast player you like we're on them all we're live every thursday next week at this time join us for pixel sift plays as we check play some of the indie games we feature on the podcast our next episode is i don't know 23rd of august also go to the pixelsift.com.au website and check out the heart to game custom video custom video that Gianni did. Mitch and I are in a game. How did we not bring that up? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I just forgot it's about Mitch it It's Mitch and adventure. Uh, <laughs> it's the next big thing. Go check it out. And while you're there, check out Snake Time. Yep. All right. Thank you. See ya. Love, love. Bye. 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 Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade and every level in the game is a handmade physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism.
This offer is for new subscribers only. $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 